Welcome to Transformed by Grace, an in-depth Bible study of God's Word, presented by the Berean Bible Society. Join us each time on this station as Pastor Kevin brings the transforming message of God's grace revealed through the Holy Scriptures. There was a lady who once was baking cookies in her kitchen. There was a knock at the door. She went to find a man at her door. He was a handyman, and he asked if there was any odd jobs he could do around her house. And she said, can you paint? And he said, yeah, I'm a rather good painter. And she said, well, there are two gallons of green paint in the garage and a brush, and there's a porch out back that needs to be painted. Do a good job, and I'll pay you what the job is worth. He said, sure, I'll take care of it. She went back to her cookie making and didn't think much more about it until there was a knock at the door a couple hours later. She went and the obviousness of his painting was evident as green paint was all over his clothes. She said, did you finish the job? He said, yes. She said, I'm impressed at how quickly you finished. He said, yes, but ma'am, there's one thing I'd like to point out to you. That's not a Porsche back there. That's a Mercedes. This handyman didn't hear the instructions for what to paint very clearly, but in the account we'll look at together, we'll see that the Syrian army heard the sound of chariots and horses very clearly, and it sent them running away in fear. Second Kings chapter 6, verses 24 to 25 read, And it came to pass after this that Ben-Hadad, the king of Syria, gathered all his hosts and went up and besieged Samaria. And there was a great famine in Samaria, and behold, they besieged it until Anas's head was sold for fourscore pieces of silver, and the fourth part of a cab of dove's dung was five pieces of silver. In verse 23, we read that the bands of Syria came no more into the land of Israel. Following the kindness Elisha had shown the Syrians after he had blinded them, and then led a large portion of their army to Israel's capital city, Samaria, but then fed and released them, they ceased sending raiding parties into the land of Israel. Sometime after this, in contrast to the smaller raiding parties that no longer attacked Israel, in verse 24, we learn how the king of Syria, Ben-Hadad II, mobilized his entire army, and conducted a large, full-scale invasion of Israel. They were so successful that they were able to penetrate far into the land of Israel and put the city of Samaria under siege. Ben-Hadad's strategy was to focus all of Syria's forces on one city, Samaria, the capital city of Israel. Inside Samaria, where the king was the king of Israel, and all the elders of the city. This would be something like laying siege to Washington, D.C. With their siege, the Syrians surrounded the city and prevented all business and trade from entering or leaving the city. No one dared to leave the city, just as no one dared to attempt to enter it without the possibility of being captured or put to death. The purpose of a siege at that time was that by cutting off the city from all of its supplies and necessities, they would eventually starve the population into surrender. And thus they could conquer a city and its people without hardly firing a shot. 
We see from verse 25 that the stranglehold of the siege resulted in a terrible famine gripping the city of Samaria, and the city virtually ran out of food. When we are really hungry, we might say, I'm so hungry I could eat a horse. But on occasions, people have become much more desperate than that in their hunger, and we see the desperate conditions for the residents of Samaria during this siege. A donkey was an unclean animal, according to the law of Moses, and was not to be eaten under any conditions. But those in Samaria were so desperate for food that they ignored the law, and a donkey's head, one of the least nourishing, most repulsive, and cheapest parts of this animal, became a highly valued commodity, selling for 80 shekels, or around 2 pounds of silver. And not only that, the fourth part of a cab of dove's dung sold for five pieces of silver. Dove's dung, or animal excrement, of course, would not have been clean to eat either. And a half pint of dove droppings was selling for five shekels, or two ounces of silver. So in those desperate days, when a husband came home and greeted his wife with, Honey, what's for dinner tonight? She might have said, Heads or tails? Heads as in donkey head or tails as in dove droppings? Sadly, verses 26 to 30 tell us about how the king of Israel, King Jehoram, learned of two mothers who had made a pact to even eat their children. But after eating the child of the first mother, the second mother refused to follow through on her promise and she hid her child. After the first mother protested to the king that her friend hadn't kept her part of the bargain, In his grief, the king rent his clothes, put on sackcloth, mourning greatly after he learned that cannibalism was being practiced by the people. But this is an example of Israel reaping the curses of the law by her disobedience. Because Deuteronomy 28 predicted that if they failed to hearken unto the voice of the Lord, Thou shalt eat the fruit of thine own body, the flesh of thy sons and of thy daughters, which the Lord thy God hath given thee in the siege, wherewith thine enemies shall distress thee. In verse 31, the king blamed Elisha for the terrible conditions in Samaria and for failing to do anything to relieve the situation. And so he vowed to kill him before the day was over. 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 32 through chapter 7, verse 1 read, But Elisha sat in his house, and the elders sat with him, and the king sent a man from before him. But ere the messenger came to him, he said to the elders, See ye how this son of a murderer hath sent to take away mine head? Look, when the messenger cometh, shut the door, and hold him fast at the door. Is not the sound of his master's feet behind him? And while he yet talked with them, behold, the the messenger came down unto him and said, Behold, this evil is of the Lord. What should I wait for the Lord any longer? Then Elisha said, Hear ye the word of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord, Tomorrow about this time shall a measure of fine flour be sold for a shekel, and two measures of barley for a shekel in the gate of Samaria. Elisha was sitting in his house in Samaria, and with him were the elders of the city. By divine insight, Elisha knew the details of the whole episode with the king and the mother. 
As he sat, he told the elders that a messenger from the king was on his way, followed by the king himself. He ordered the elders to bar the door of the house from the messenger, or the executioner, and to keep him from entering until King Jehoram arrived after him. Elisha knew the king had changed his mind about his order for Elisha's death, so he had the elders refuse entrance to the messenger until his master, or the king, arrived to revoke the order. Almost immediately, the messenger arrived, then the king behind him. When the king arrived, he was admitted into the house, and he confessed to Elisha that he believed that this calamity was a judgment from the Lord. And he stated that things were so helpless that he could not wait on the Lord any longer, and he was ready to throw in the towel. There was no other solution than to surrender to the Syrians. Then Elisha declared that within 24 hours... God would completely reverse the deplorable conditions in the city of Samaria. Miraculously, the famine and the inflation would end. Supplies would be plentiful, and the price of food would be very reasonable. There would be both barley and fine wheat flour, which would be sold for unbelievably low prices the very next day. Seven quarts of flour would sell for one shekel. Fourteen quarts of barley would sell for one shekel. We'll be returning to the program in just a minute. But first, we'd like to take this time to thank you, our partners, for making these programs possible. If you would like to access our library of helpful Bible study tools, go to BereanBibleSociety.org. Runaways, Running from God is a 144-page paperback book written by Pastor Kevin Sadler, president of Berean Bible Society. This book explains stories of people in the Bible who ran away from God. The Prodigal Son, Onesimus, Jonah, Elijah, and John Mark. Each of them ran for different reasons, such as fear, sin, unbelief, worldliness, or hard-heartedness. These examples of runaways teach us many things. We learn what they learn. We learn how they grew in their faith and how their attitudes and lives were changed by God. To order your copy, contact Berean Bible Society for pricing and availability at 262-255-4750 or visit our website at BereanBibleSociety.org. To receive our free full-color 32-page monthly magazine, the Berean Searchlight, call 262-255-4750 or subscribe online at www.bereanbiblesociety.org. Thank you again for your generous gifts. And now, back to the teaching with Pastor Kevin. Second Kings chapter 7, verses 3-9 to nine read, And there were four leprous men at the entering in of the gate, and they said one to another, Why sit we here until we die? If we say we will enter into the city, then the famine is in the city, and we shall die there. And if we sit still here, we die also. Now therefore come and let us fall unto the host of the Syrians. If they save us alive, we shall live. And if they kill us, we shall but die. And they rose up in the twilight to go unto the camp of the Syrians. And when they were come to the uttermost part of the camp of Syria, behold, there was no man there. For the Lord had made the hosts of the Syrians to hear a noise of chariots and a noise of horses, even the noise of a great host. And they said one to another, Lo, the king of Israel hath hired against us the king 
kings of the Hittites and the kings of the Egyptians to come upon us. Wherefore they arose and fled in the twilight and left their tents and their horses and their asses, even the camp as it was, and fled for their life. And when these lepers came to the uttermost part of the camp, they went into one tent and did eat and drink and carried thence silver and gold and raiment and went and hid it and came again and entered into another tent and carried thence also and went and hid it. Then they said one to another, We do not well. This day is a good a day of good tidings, and we hold our peace. If we tarry till the morning light. Some mischief will come upon us. Now therefore come, that we may go and tell the king's household. The scene shifts from inside Samaria to outside the gates of Samaria and to four lepers. Ordinary people of the city were suffering from hunger, and these four men were suffering even more. They were outcasts who were shut out of the city because of their disease. They were most likely beggars who relied on charity. They were dying not only from their dreadful disease and the rotting of their flesh from leprosy, but also from starvation. No one in Samaria had any food to share with them. These men were in a desperate situation, and so they decided to take desperate measures. They talked together and stated that if they tried to go into the city, they would die because there was no food in there. If they stayed at the gate and did nothing, they would die of starvation because no one in the city had enough food to share with them. If they took their chances and went to the Syrians, they might die there too. But it would be better to die quickly from the sword than to die slowly from hunger and starvation was their thought process. And if they went to the Syrians, who knows, they thought. They might possibly receive some pity and some food and they might live. Better to die trying was their thinking. They concluded that they had nothing to lose by going to the Syrian camp where there was plenty of food. And they all agreed to go to the Syrians and to beg for mercy. They rose early the next morning and headed out while it was twilight. Now put yourself in the sandals of one of these men for a moment. As they approach the Syrian camp, they see the tents from a distance. As they got near, they see the horses still tied up, but they don't see any guards. In fact, they don't see so much as one Syrian. They continue to make their way into the camp cautiously. Campfires were still burning. It's quiet, too quiet. One of them works up the courage to pull back the flap of one of the tents, looks inside, but no one is inside. They look in another tent, and then in another, and they find that there is not one person in the entire camp. The tents are not empty, however. Inside each tent are great treasures, food, drink, clothing, gold, and silver. When they come to the supply tents, they find that these are full of grain and other food. They come into the first part of the camp, and the second part, and the third part, and there is abundance, abundance, and abundance. And these lepers look at each other and realize, we've struck it rich. Verse 6 tells us the reason that the camp was empty. The Lord had made the host of the Syrians to hear a noise of chariots 
and the noise of horses, even the noise of a great host. In the previous account in chapter 6, God had enabled Elisha's servant to see the great host of the Lord and the horses and chariots of fire in the mountain of Dothan. Here we find that God enabled the Syrian army to hear those same unseen angelic supernatural chariots of fire, horses, and the noise of that great host here in Samaria. Hearing them in the night, the Syrians thought that the king of Israel hath hired against us the kings of the Hittites and the kings of the Egyptians to come upon us. Hearing the sounds of onrushing horse hooves, chariot wheels, and footsteps, and shouts of a massive force near the camp frightened them all. The, uh, the volume, the intensity of the sounds convinced them that the advancing army was even greater than theirs, which it was. The only army this large, they thought, though, was that, that of the Egyptians or the Hittites or perhaps even both of them together. This caused them, this sound caused them to rise up and flee in panic, leaving all of their supplies and equipment behind. And as verse 7 says, they left their tents, their tents and their horses and their asses, even the camp as it was, and fled for their life. There was no opportunity to calmly assess the situation or to organize a response. There was no time to think. There was not even time to get dressed, to put on one's armor, or to hitch up the horses. Terrified at the sound and the thought of a massive army descending on them, everyone panicked, ran, and scattered into the night. And then the next morning, four lepers wandered into the empty camp, and they couldn't believe what they were seeing. And as they wandered into the camp, they did what any hungry man would have done. They went into one tent and did eat and drink. They ate and stuffed themselves. Afterward, they looted the tent of its wealth, carrying out its silver, gold, raiment, and they went and hid it. After hiding the treasures from the first tent, the lepers continued their hoarding and went to a second tent and spoiled it as well and again hid what they had gathered. But there was so much, there was no way they could possibly gather it all. So they stopped to have another conference to assess their situation. They realized that while they were there stuffing themselves with food and gathering up all of this wealth in this abandoned camp, the people were back in the city suffering and on the brink of starvation. It was only right that they should return to the city and share the good news with the people. They understood that to remain silent and to selfishly enjoy this blessing just for themselves would be wrong. They had a responsibility to share the good news with others. The lepers returned to the gates of Samaria, where they called out to the porter of the city, or the gatekeeper. They told the good news to the gatekeepers that the camp of the Syrians was abandoned. The gatekeepers then passed this report on to the king's house. The king was awakened from his sleep and told the news. The king's response was that he was suspicious and sure that this was a trap. He reasoned that the Syrians, knowing that they were hungry, had retreated and were hiding nearby in the fields, just waiting for the people of Samaria to come out of the city where they could then fall upon them and kill them and invade the city.
from a mil- from a military point of view, this is a very logical and reasonable conclusion. But the king did not connect the dots and did not connect the good news with Elisha's prophecy of plenty within 24 hours. One servant of the king then offered some wise counsel to the king. He simply encouraged the king to consider that he had nothing to lose and everything to gain by checking out this report. He said that he should send scouts out with five of the horses that remained in Samaria to inspect the camp. If it all turned out to be a trap and they were all killed, they would have all died from starvation before long anyway had they stayed in the city. So his reasoning was, why not take a chance if it might save their lives? In the rest of the chapter, we learn how the king sent out men on two chariot horses and to their amazement found the camp empty. They then followed the Syrians' escape route all the way to the Jordan River, 25 miles away, and they found the ground littered along the way with the clothing and equipment that the army discarded as they fled. These scouts then returned to Samaria and told the king. The people immediately went out and plundered the tents. They found an abundance of food to eat and to sell back in the city, so that as a result, a measure of fine flour was sold for a shekel, and two measures of barley for a shekel, according to the word of the Lord. Verse 16 says, God's promise to provide food for the people of Samaria the very next day was fulfilled exactly as he said. As incredible and far-fetched as Elisha's prophecy seemed, it was fulfilled to the letter by the scattering of the Syrian army. God, in his perfect wisdom, used those who had come to destroy Israel to be the very means of her deliverance. God dealt bountifully with Israel here on the basis of his mercy and grace. It was not that the people of Samaria deserved anything from God. In fact, their oppression at the hands of the Syrians was the just consequence of their unbelief and rebellion against God and His law. They deserved judgment. But in spite of their sinfulness and disobedience, God brought about a mighty deliverance. Much like God's provision of salvation in Christ... In spite of us being ungodly, disobedient sinners, God has provided a mighty salvation for us through His Son, Jesus Christ. Romans 5, 6, and 8 tells us that Christ died for the ungodly, and God commendeth His love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Like those in Samaria were in a desperate situation and we're starving and dying, so we are in a desperate situation in our sins, and we are starving and dying spiritually. But God has provided deliverance and has given His Son to die for our sins that we might be saved and find life in Him. In Israel's desperate situation, God provided a miraculous rescue. But none of the Israelites knew about it. They thought they were still trapped within their city walls. But four men knew the truth that they could be set free. Like the four lepers, we who have believed have already discovered and experienced the benefits, the freedom, 
the bounty of God's deliverance. But also, like the lepers, we must realize something very important. Now we have a message to deliver. The lepers said in verse 9, We do not well. This day is a day of good tidings, and we hold our peace. In other words, we have good news. We shouldn't keep it to ourselves. These four men knew that the enemy had been defeated. They knew that the people in the city could be saved. They knew that the people who were starving did not need to die. And they knew that they should not keep such an amazing, wonderful, life-saving message to themselves. And we are just like those four men. We have a wonderful, life-saving message of good news to deliver and share and not keep to ourselves. We say to sinners, our enemies of sin and death have been defeated. You can be saved. We say to those who are dying in their sins, you can live. We say to those who are starving spiritually, there's bread. Bread enough in despair. And it's all through the bread of life, through Christ alone, trusting His finished work. Like when the king of Israel was told about the abandoned camp and their deliverance, he was skeptical. He thought there must be a catch. And with many who we tell about the salvation, the riches we find in Christ by faith alone, as a free gift in Him, we get a skeptical response. They think if something sounds too good to be true, it probably is. But it's the truth, the truth of God's Word, to just trust Christ alone, and you have deliverance and life eternal. And as we discover God's salvation and blessing in Christ, there is abundance, 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 all by the grace of God. We who have believed have discovered and experienced the riches of God's grace in Christ, and God wants us to tell others about the salvation and rich blessings of grace, hope, and forgiveness that is found in Christ. Leprosy is a picture of sin in the Bible. The lepers were outcasts, poor, beggars, and they were dying. They are a picture of the spiritual condition of each sinner outside of Christ, separated from the life of God. These men realized that if they did nothing, they would perish. Their only hope was to go to their enemy, the Syrians, and ask for mercy. Likewise, for each sinner, if you do nothing, you will perish in your sin. Your only hope is to go to Jesus Christ to receive mercy. If you do, and you trust Him as your Savior, you will find life and provision and deliverance and abundance, abundance of blessing in Him. Thank you again for tuning in to Transformed by Grace. We appreciate your prayer support and the financial gifts. 
The purpose and mission of the Berean Bible Society is to help you understand the whole counsel of the Word of God. For more information, visit our website at www.bereanbiblesociety.org or give us a call at 262-255-4750. Or if you prefer, write us at the Berean Bible Society, P.O. Box 756, Germantown, Wisconsin, 53022. Now until next time, may you be transformed by God's grace.